Last Sunday, we had an incredible Sunday at our outdoor service. We were overjoyed to baptize 10 people. We fed over 700 people lunch in about 10 minutes. After several weeks of planning and two weeks of final preparation to make that happen, then we also filled up the back of three moving trucks for three local food pantries in our community. We had a craft of potting a plant and then coloring a card to go with it. And we asked you to pray about it and share the plant with a neighbor. It was a great Sunday to shape our community by sharing the grace of Jesus Christ through all aspects. It was encouraging to me because on Tuesday night, I went to meet a new neighbor in our neighborhood. They're almost across the street from me. And they told me that our other neighbors who attend Rich Fork had already come over on Sunday afternoon and they brought them a nice flower with a card. Way to go. That was last Sunday. Now, tomorrow, this would be on Monday, Windshape Camp kicks in. You can still register for Windshape Camps. It is Monday, June 7th through Friday the 11th. We have almost 150 children and students registered that that will take place all over our property, almost every classroom, every meeting space. It'll be transformed by an incredible group of young adults from Windshape Camps who arrive on Thursday evening of this week already. This is for any child or student from our church or in our community who have completed grades K through eight. If you want more information, you can contact Windshape. Our volunteer coordinator for this event is Josie Davis, and her email is josie at richfork.com. It is not too late to kick off your summer, and we do still have some scholarship money available for that time. So thank you for being for our community last week, and we look forward to the one coming for our children and students. Now, I wanna make a quick announcement, which may not be of huge significance since you're watching and worshiping in your home, but we wanted to make sure we cover all of our bases. We as a church are very thankful very thankful for the rapid decline of COVID-19 cases over the past month. Several weeks ago, rules in our state were changed and removed some of the social distancing, capacity restrictions, and mask requirements. Therefore, we will no longer be requiring masks in any of our services. But of course, of course, if you want or desire or need to wear a mask while on our property, please do. We understand and we, we will respect your individual decision. If you meet someone wearing a mask while on campus, please remember to give them space. Maintain some distance so that all of us as a church family and all those who could be new to us can attend comfortably and safely. Mask or no mask, we are excited to see you at church. We hope you're ready to step back into the room, back into community and fellowship with those who call Rich Fork home. Now, before we continue and begin a new series for this summer, let me pray for us. God, thank you for what you allowed us to be a part of last week. And God, if I could be so bold to take Paul's words and say, God, we want more. More than we could ever ask or imagine. We don't even know exactly how to ask or how to imagine the great, plans that you have for us. We just simply want to be a part of it. So show us, reveal to us as leaders, as church members, how we can be for our community, how we can shape those around us. So thank you, God, for this opportunity 
to shape our community by putting our message and your word online for those in our community and those outside of it to hear your word and be drawn to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I grew up in the 70s and our selection of television was limited to three, if we were lucky, four channels, depending on how good the antenna was working. Some of you have no idea what that means. But one show that I could depend on watching each week, Gilligan's Island. The premise of the show, it, it's, well, why don't you just sit right back and, and I'll tell you a tale, a, a tale of a fateful trip that started with this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. The mate was a mighty sailing man. Can I just pause and say he wasn't? The mate was Gilligan. He's Barney Fife on a boat. The skipper, brave and sure, five passengers set sail that day for a three-hour tour. A three-hour tour. Now, I'm not going to finish the song. Some of you may be disappointed, but if you know, you know. The whole show was built around seven people who are stranded, they're lost, there's no way to communicate unless the professor goes MacGyver, builds a radio out of a coconut shell from a wire that washes up on the shore. But then about every three episodes, someone lands on the island. There's an apparent way off. Yet Gilligan unknowingly sabotages the exit strategy and the show ends up with everyone disappointed, but really we shouldn't be because if they were rescued, then the show would be over. But ultimately, the storyline is this, rescue, redemption. Being pulled from the peril, being pulled out of danger on an island, back to their homes, back to dry land, back to their careers and their lives. Now that you are thinking about how to finish the theme song to Gilligan's Island, I, I want to shift you and introduce you to our summer study for 2021. As a church, you did a phenomenal job following a reading plan we gave you at the beginning of 2021 through the book of John. So your reward for being such incredible students and learners is that we took 16 weeks to cover one book of the Bible. I don't see any reason why walking through the entire Bible between today and August 15th could be a struggle. I wouldn't do that to you, don't worry. But we are going to read through a handful of moments from Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation. And we're going to do so, and I want to ask you to do so looking with me at each of the stories through the same set of lenses with me. I want you to see one thread running through every story. It's the story of redemption. The story of being deserted in our sin. The story only to have the creator of the universe enact the plan from the moment sin entered into the world, the moment of being lost without hope, but having a miraculous rescue. The story of being abandoned with no apparent way to safety, but only to see that the story of the redemption is the story of scripture. And it's also your story and it's mine. The Bible is full of examples of redemption. And today I want to journey through a few of those, laying the groundwork for our summer. A few things in every story of redemption. A story of redemption must have someone who is in despair, 
Someone who is abandoned, someone is separated, someone who is without hope, no solution, no way out. You have to have that in a story of redemption. A story of redemption also must have a hero. And most of the time, the hero is unexpected, last second, willing to give far more of themselves than was ever imagined. A story of redemption often, not always, leads to someone who is grateful or thankful for their freedom, their unexpected love and life-changing moment. This is the story that is woven throughout the pages of Scripture from cover to cover. In Genesis, where we will land next week in the garden, there's the fall of mankind. The consequence and punishment from God for their disobedient actions was quick. But there in the garden, even their disobedience, while Adam and Eve are removed from the perfect setting of the Garden of Eden, they must live and die in this sinful body. But there's redemption offered. Next week, we're going to explore the glimmer of redemption, the hint that's offered. And in that story, redemption is pointing towards something greater from the beginning. In Exodus, there's a man by the name of Moses. Most of you have at least heard the name. Talk about a guy who needed redemption. He's a Hebrew child raised by Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh is the leader of the Egyptian nation, the most powerful leader in the world at this time. The Hebrew people were the slaves by which Egypt was built. They, Hebrews and Egyptians, were not best friends. Moses grows up and knows his heritage. He witnesses an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. He, in turn, kills Moses, kills the Egyptian. He hides the body. He panics. He flees for his life, and he becomes a shepherd. This new life, he's a married man. Keeping his flock was where he imagined his story would end. But Moses was a part of a bigger story. Yet to unfurl his story, a part of God's story, was going to display redemption for Moses from his murderous background, but also to lead God's children out of slavery. Redemption is going to be all around him. In Exodus 2, 23-25, that is where Scripture tells us about God's children who had been enslaved for 400 years. Listen to these words. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. They cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. What did he know? Everything. Their pain, their generations of burdens at the hands of ungodly leadership. But I love the finality of that verse. God knew. He knew that he loved them. He approved of them and he was listening to them. He takes them as his own, but he knew their sorrows. He knew their sufferings. And he took notice of what was being done to them secretly. And he's going to redeem them. 
He's going to rescue them. Redemption has a broken people and Moses, a broken man, will be moved by God to lead an unexpected release and more redemption moments for them and their people can, than can be imagined. Redemption runs as a thread through Scripture. Someone's in despair, facing abandonment, a person or an entire group of people without hope, no solution, no way out. The need for a hero When rescued and redeemed, there's a sense of thankfulness. For some, that season of gratefulness will see last longer than for others. And many stories involve a person or a people who experience redemption more than once. So let's take our young friend David in the Old Testament, the last of the family litter, the smallest, yet the one chosen by God who would be a future king. Where we pick up with him, he's playing the harp for King Saul. David later ends up on the battlefront between the Israelites and the Philistines. He's carrying cheese and crackers to the commanders. I am not making it up. He is also checking on his brothers and their condition. He sees that the entire Israelite army is stuck in fear because of a giant named Goliath. But David, the future king, sheds the armor of the king, picks up five stones and a slingshot and heads into battle. Listen to the interaction in 1 Samuel 17, verse 41. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David and with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistines looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a young, ruddy, and handsome in appearance. Time out here. If you are wondering if that is a compliment or an insult, if you're trying to be a warrior, that's an insult. The guy that you're about to do battle with says you're a nice little handsome boy. You're not a warrior. The Philistine said to David in verse 43, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? The Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the field. Redemption and rescue. Party of one is in need. David on the battlefield. Verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled this day. The Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head. Don't ever tell me the Bible is not full of action. And I will, David continues, give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he, will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet Philistine, meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, took a stone, slung it, struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into the forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. What a moment of redemption. But David makes sure to acknowledge he's not the hero. 
David is pointing to God in this unexpected moment. David is called later on a man after God's own heart. Yet David's going to need redemption again. David is going to need and experience freedom from the bondage of sin, of adultery, of deception, and of murder. He would be responsible for the death of one of his protectors, Uriah. And his adulterous affair is going to lead to the birth and the death of his child. Yet God would redeem him again and again. Rescue him again. Protect him again through his brokenness, through his repentance. But his family, they would remain shattered and torn and splintered. Redemption was running through this splintered family tree and it would run all the way and David's name included to the birth of the true Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Redemption, it continues in Scripture. It, it takes center stage in the book of Ruth with the, the name that we will explore later this summer, the kinsman Redeemer. In Job, the man who lost anything in life of value Job would experience redemption in unexpected ways. But talk about a guy in need of redemption and rescue. In the end, he gains understanding when he experiences redemption and a spirit of thankfulness. Scripture says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen to his response of redemption. Hear. He speaks this to God. God, hear, and I will speak. I will question you and you will make it known. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself. I repent in dust and ashes. What about Daniel, the prophet? His rescue seemed delayed over and over. He cares for and interprets the dream for a ludicrous king, Nebuchadnezzar, for a season of his life. Then another king, Darius, comes. And then there's a ploy from an enemy. Daniel's thrown into the lion's den. He's given up for dead. But one, when morning comes, the den door is open. Redemption is on full display. Daniel is in the den. He's alive and well. But there's a bigger hero. The God who placed hope even in the punishment of Adam and Eve in the garden. The God who knew in Exodus. The God also who forgave the sins of several servant leaders. This God, the God of redemption, in Daniel chapter 6 is lifted up. Verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. He decrees, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He redeems. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Who is redeemed 
and rescued out of sure death into life? God. Redemption for Daniel was a part of a greater story. We don't have time today to explore a redemption that takes place through a harlot or another moment in the book of Hosea where a prophet is commanded to forgive his adulterous wife numerous times. And this is really a picture of God's continual, repentant, rescuing love to his rebellious children like me and you. But stories of redemption have a people or a person who is shackled by an enemy, maybe by their own sinful decisions and are in need of a miraculous rescue. Redemption has a cost and the need for a redeemer. Redemption delivers freedom. Redemption, ransom secured, rescue taking place. When you turn the page into the New Testament, redemption jumps out. Even in the genealogy pages, people are included that you and I would ignore if they came up on your Ancestry.com search of part of your family tree. But the fact that God chose, that God knew, that God allowed those names to be listed is yet another piece of evidence of His spirit of rescue, His desire of redemption. Then the unexpected arrives on the scene. God made flesh, Jesus Christ. Even the characters who played the parts are unexpected and miraculous. The virgin birth, only faith can receive that. Born in poverty, Jesus. Born in the middle of a battle of a region between the ones who had been there for centuries, the Jewish people, and the brute force of the Roman Empire. There's a miracle worker, Jesus Christ. He's tempted, no sin. He steps into a season of history that a religious system has been built on a sacrifice of a lamb that would require a sacrifice and it would be Jesus. Sin, brokenness, religious pride of the Pharisees, fading hope of the Jewish people, waiting, hoping. Redemption is needed. Accusations are made towards Jesus. There is betrayal. There is His arrest. And when humanity is at its lowest as they crucify their Savior, redemption is rising. Rescue is on the cross. It's coming. And it even happened at that moment. While hanging there on a cross, being left for dead, being mocked and ridiculed, this interaction takes place. Luke chapter 23, verse 36 through 43. The soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him, Jesus, sour wine, saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanging railed at at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him. But pause there. Make sure you have this picture. Jesus is hanging on a cross, dying for the sins of each of us 
between two criminals. One is mocking Jesus, yet the other is going to defend Jesus. Scripture continues saying, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we justly, we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He said to him, Jesus said to this criminal on the cross, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Did you hear redemption? No hope. Unexpected. Freedom comes even on the cross. When humanity is at its lowest, redemption is rising. Moments before the death of Jesus on the cross, Jesus is redeeming. He is rescuing. He is promising freedom for a little while? No, for eternity. His death and his body are then placed into a tomb. The, the enemy is proclaiming victory, but the body of Jesus, although it has stopped breathing, the story of redemption is, the, is about to break out of darkness, shake the earth, and change history. The story of Scripture is redemption. It is your story. It's my story. Every redemption story has a person or persons in bondage, bound in sin. That's each of us. Wrapped in guilt, shame, condemnation, comparison, abandonment. Failed attempts to be the hero ourselves. And if we will be honest, that's my story and yours. Every redemption story involves a payment being made to redeem a sacrifice on behalf of one person for another. A price must be paid. Every redemption story gives way to freedom. It delivers hope. It leads to thankfulness for the hero. And true redemption rescues and leads us to action on the part of the one who has been saved and redeemed. What about your story? What about mine? In the book of Ephesians, I want to introduce you, if you haven't read these verses already, to four verses that I'm going to ask you to commit to memory this summer. You've got about 12 weeks to do it. Four verses, 70 words for the summer. Because in these verses that we will revisit this summer several times, over the next 11 weeks, you'll find your story of redemption. It's on full display. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 through 10. In him we have redemption, release, payment, freedom. Notice what it says there. We have redemption. We don't earn redemption. It is not something futurative. It, we have redemption. We have been rescued. We have been freed through his blood, through his forgiveness of our sins. He continues. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, 
making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. Here's where we see evidence of what I stated last Sunday, that our greatest need can only be met, our sin, our greatest need can only be met the greatest gift, Jesus Christ. The story of redemption through the Bible is the story of every person on every page. It is also the story of every person who is watching this. It is the story of every person who sits in the room on a Sunday. It is the story of every person in all creation. Paul uses the word redemption in a spiritual sense to refer to Christ paying the price for our sin by his sacrificial death on the cross on our behalf. We must acknowledge that we were helpless, hopeless, enslaved to sin under God's condemnation, his discipline. But we are also under his grace and mercy. And with his own blood, Jesus Christ paid the penalty to release us from bondage. God did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. We were enslaved to sin. We had no power or means to free ourselves. And God did not need our help in paying the price. In fact, it's an insult. If we think that we can add anything on our own to the great price that he paid. If someone offered you a, a gift worth thousands of dollars and you reached in your pocket and the only thing you had was a penny to pay for it, you would insult the giver. Jesus graciously, lavishly paid it all. We can do nothing except to receive his gift and then, and then live every day in light of what he has so graciously and generously done for us. Scripture says, Jesus lavishly poured himself out for us. He provided a great deal. He held nothing back because he knew it took it all to redeem me and you. My redemption story reveals that I was enslaved to sin and bondage. My redemption story heralds a hero, Jesus Christ, who lavishly, abundantly poured out his grace upon me. And he desires to do the same for you. Because I have been redeemed through Jesus Christ. Because I have been redeemed through Jesus Christ, I must be grateful. And because I am grateful, I am able to pursue godliness. Let me say that again for our entire summer. Because I have been redeemed through Jesus Christ, I must be grateful. I came at a great price. And because I am grateful, I am able to pursue godliness. Redemption. Gratefulness, pursuit, godliness. This summer, I hope that you will read the scriptures that we will give to you. And that as we walk through the summer, I want to encourage you to, to memorize some more scriptures, a few verses along the way. But in doing so, I want our reminders to be of redemption. I want them to lead us to godliness because we are eternally grateful for the gift of Jesus Christ. Because I've been redeemed through Jesus Christ, 
I must be grateful. And because I'm grateful, I am able to pursue godliness. Why is that statement so important? May our reminder of redemption lead us to pursue godliness this summer. And our pursuit of godliness, may we see how it impacts our relationships, our community, and our church. The story of redemption, the story of all scripture is one of redemption. It can be your story in and through Jesus. I am looking forward to seeing how God is going to use this summer for his glory and our grateful pursuit of him. Would you pray with me? God, help us to realize that because our story of redemption came at a great cost, that God, because of that, we become grateful people. May this summer instill in us a, a sense of thankfulness for the incredible gift that God has given us, that you have given us. And may we see that God, we're not forced to, but God, we get to pursue you and the things of you, pursue godliness. And God, I truly believe it's in that pursuit, even in our failures and our requests and our coming to you of repentance and apologies and relationships, it's in that pursuit that we can see change around us. Not because we're perfect, but because we've been forgiven and redeemed. So God, be with us as we walk through this summer together. I pray for those who have yet to trust in the redemption of Jesus and that they would grab a hold of it this summer and see they're in bondage, see that there's an unexpected hero, and they will come out of this summer free and thankful for the gift of Jesus. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now next Sunday... I want to invite you, if you want to, to prepare ahead of time. You can read Genesis 1 through 3. Don't miss Genesis 3, verse 24. There's a glimpse of redemption on display. Closing announcement. Night of prayer, night of worship. Wednesday night, June 16th, from 6.30 until a little bit later than that. Here's the idea for the night. We want to get together. We'll worship with one voice, not a full band, just our voices and a single instrument. We'll pray for each other in our community. We'll give thanks to God through testimony. We might laugh a little bit as we share. We might cry as a community. We don't have childcare during this evening and we will not be offended when your little ones join us and they behave like little ones. We get it. We just want to be together modeling Acts 2, 42-47 as we continue to seek God, pursue shaping our community by sharing the grace of Jesus Christ. We would love for you, if you haven't yet entered into the room, join us for that evening and the next week. Thank you for joining us.